0: Amen. Well, good morning. Uh, I'm Clayton. I'm not Brother Chris. I am a Cowboys fan. And, uh, but on his behalf, I just want to say I'm glad to uh, be here this morning, be praying for him. Hopefully he will get some rest during this time of vacation. Uh, but I'm the administrative pastor here at First Baptist Church, get to work with a great group of people. And I'm honored to get to share with you briefly this morning. I do have a clock up here, and that is the most important part of sermon preparation. This is a time of year, the beginning of the year, a lot of times, when we kind of take a re-examination of things. And I got to be here at the candlelight service. I wasn't planning on it, but somebody came in from college and he was sick. And until we got through around the medications, we didn't figure we better go back and be around elderly folks. And so we got to be here for the candlelight service, which is a great service if you've never got to... Be it that. And one of the things in Chris's message that he challenged us about, I believe it was the third point, and he said that God came for us to have, from John ten ten, he came that we would have a full and meaningful life. And that passage doesn't mean necessarily a life of accumulation of stuff and accumulation of time, but it means that God wants us to have a life of power, God wants us to have a life of impact. God wants us to have a life of influence. God wants us to live a life of courage. God wants us to leave a mark in this life. And I believe that's what God wants us to do. And that's the kind of life you want to live. I mean, who just wants to go through the motions, get old, retire, get my art card, which I'm already starting to get those things, you know, get at the buffet at 430 and stuff, you know, and like I said, mentioned last time, I'm starting to get in these twinges, wanting to go to Branson and see shows. I don't know what's happening there, but that's not what life is about. God wants us to have a life of impact and a life of meaning. So this morning, if we're going to have a life of impact and meaning and influence, we've got to be prepared. It's not just going to happen. There's preparation that we have to do with that. And sometimes that preparation is on our part and it's intentional and things we work and do. And sometimes that preparation is things that God puts us through that we may not even realize at the time that He's preparing us for something. In James chapter 1, you don't have to look this one up, uh, but it says in James chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish at work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. God wants to develop our character. He wants to develop us. And sometimes it is intentional disciplines that we do on our part. And sometimes it's things that God allows us to to develop uh, as we need to. So we're prepared for the challenge that God has before us. There's a movie out right now called uh, Unbroken. How how many of y'all seen it? Okay, is it okay? Is it worth going to? Thumbs up? Okay. I have not seen it yet. I understand it's about Louis Zamperini. I don't know if I said his name right or not. But obviously, God was preparing Louis Zamperini for certain things. I don't know what all the movie gets into because I haven't seen it yet. But I know Fox News did a special last night kind of on the rest of the story. I know Billy Graham Crusade has a book out about his life. I know his family has a couple other books. And hopefully during this time, that part of the story will get pushed and promoted as well. But Louis Samparini ended up being a missionary to ja- to, in Japan. And not just a missionary in Japan, but a missionary to his Japanese captors. In Japan, and he shared the gospel with them, forg- offered forgiveness not only from God but from himself, and saw many come to Jesus Christ. He also, in California, started up some homes for juveniles because he had had a rough childhood, so he offered up a place for juveniles to be able to go to to get counseling uh, for some to stay at and things like that. And then he went all over the place speaking, and because of his story, he wasn't just speaking in churches. He would speak a lot of times for motivational things, for business leaders and things, but would get to share his story. And God was preparing him for that. Now, on the front end, if you would have shown him what he had to do to get prepared for that, he probably would have said, I'm good, thanks, you know, let's pass that on to somebody else. Because who wants to, you know, uh, bullied as a young kid, then he goes through all the discipline and stuff, learning how to run and stuff, and is pushed for that, and then... You know, he goes to USC, I believe, runs. They say he's getting real close to breaking a four-minute mile, but ends up signing up for the Army. goes and ends up flying, and while doing some reconnaissance work in a plane that was notorious for trouble, the plane goes down. He spends 47 days out at sea, you know, surviving on rainwater, some fish they can catch getting shot at by the Japanese. And then once you miraculously, by God, you're safe from that, you're rescued by... Uh, the, the Japanese who then put him in prison camp and brutalized him there. So he goes through a very difficult journey, and there's no way at that time he could understand that preparation process, what God was getting him ready to do. And there's no way he probably would have signed up for that deal on the front end. A lot of times we want God to show, show me the entire picture, God, show me what is going to happen to me four years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from whatever. And God says, no, I'm going to show you today. I'm going to show you what you need to do to get ready today, and you be faithful with that, and then when the challenge comes, you're ready. And when the challenge came for him, he was ready because many of those that he shared the gospel with in Japan, many of his former captors accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. But he was ready because of what he had been through. So I want us to look at a few things about preparation. And I want you to look in your Bibles. We're going to start off with in Hebrews chapter 2, okay? All the T's, this one you got to look up. Was it on the screen? Well, look it up anyway. It's a good exercise. Flip through your Bible, find all your T's, Titus, Timothy, all then Philemon, and boom, there's Hebrews. Or Start at Revelation, go back six or seven books, and boom, there's Hebrews. But find Hebrews chapter 2. I'm giving you a second. Okay? Find it. It's going to be a quiz. It's going to be a prize. Okay? When you find it, let's do something different this morning. Okay? I want you to stand up. You're reluctant, like you're scared or something. Just stand up, okay? And I simply want to stand up, and we're going to read Hebrews chapter 2. So if you would, just in honor of God's Word, I'm just asking you to stand up in honor of God's Word. And this isn't Bible drill, so whether you got it or not, you can stand up, okay? But Hebrews chapter 2, and we're going to read this. Uh, just, you, know, you don't have to read out loud, but read in your Bible along with me. It says, Since the children have flesh and blood, And this is talking about us. Since you and me have flesh and blood, he too, talking about Jesus Christ, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil. And free those who all their lives, talking about us, were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants, again, that's us, For this reason, he had to be made like them. Christ was made like us, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of people. He might become the sacrifice that would make it possible for us to have relationship with God. And then being made like us in every way... He is able to relate to us. He shows us how to live, how to react, how to love, and how how to care for other people's. Good job. You can sit back down. But Jesus Christ came. During Christmas, we read the story of Christ on the Christmas Eve service. Chris shared from Luke chapter 2 about the birth of Christ. What I want us to look at today is post-birth. What happened post-birth? What happened between birth and the year 30? We don't get a whole lot. But we probably get more than we do on most people's birth. We get a little bit in the Bible about Jacob and Esau. We get a little bit about Samson. We get like a sentence about John the Baptist. You know, we get a little bit. We don't get a whole lot, but we get a little bit about Jesus Christ between birth and And between 30. And the reason 30, because at 30, that's when you could be you could become, you know, full-fledged into as a rabbi, it's also as a Jew, you were considered a full-fledged adult with all privileges. So that's why he started his ministry at 30. But it's not like he wasn't doing anything in between there. He was preparing for the whole reason that he came here, to be our sacrifice and to show us how to live and how to relate to other people. So God intentionally put what little he did here. He intentionally put this because he didn't want to give us too much. He wanted to give us just enough. And he said, I'm giving you just enough so you'll know how to be prepared because for every person in this room, God's got a mission for your life. He has got a challenge. He has got a way that he wants to take your life and use it for influence, for impact, for power, for courage, for challenge, for change that nobody else can do. He has a specific plan for your life, and it's important that we embrace it and we get prepared for it. Again, the tendency, especially with younger folks, college folks, young adults, is we want to run ahead, show me what's out there. And that's why so many times what we see is between 18, 17, 18, and the late 20s, a lot of people drop out of church. It's a good strategy by Satan. Here you are making some of the most important decisions you will ever make in your life about career, about marriage, about where to live, your first financial decisions, and things like that, and God kind of gets put on the back burner. And God needs to be out front. And what happens a lot of times, people get married, they get married a few years, they have a kid or two, and then they start coming back to church. And that trend has gotten later and later and later every generation. And they think this generation will be the first one where less come back to church. Uh, In the past, you know, more came back that didn't. Now they think less will come back than before. So it's very important that God's got a plan and a purpose for your life and don't say, well, when I get all my ducks in a row, when I get through my... Whatever it is, I'm studying in college and work and get some stuff stayed up and get my life. Then I'll I'll bring God back into the stuff. You need him in your life right now in this preparation process. And don't think this is just for young people because you know if you read the Old Testament, God did some amazing things through some young folks. Caleb, 85. Joshua, somewhere in there between 80 and 85. Abraham, Sarah. I hope several of you have Sarah experiences. Uh, You know, there's some amazing things that God did with some people, Moses, later on in life. So it's important that we're prepared. And I want you to see three quick things about preparation this morning from those early years of Jesus Christ. The first thing that I want you to see this morning is about the importance of faithfulness faithfulness. In Luke chapter 2, and everything we're taking this morning from this point forward is from Luke chapter 2. And in Luke chapter 2, verse 21, and it'll be on the screen, we see Mary and Joseph post-birth of Jesus Christ. So they've just had this experience, you know, uh, in the stable, in the cave, wherever it is, they've had the birth of Christ. Circumstances are getting a little bit scary. And what do they do? Mary ponders things in her heart. How's this all going to play out? She's heard these words from Anna and from Simeon, you know, about uh, who this child is and the great things that are in store and their suffering involved. And she doesn't understand it all and she would like to see the big picture, but she doesn't. So what do they do? What they do is they're faithful with what God has showed them to do right at that moment. In Luke chapter 2, it said... God has not called us to... Oh, I'm reading the wrong thing. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumstance, circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. When the time came for the purification's rites required by the law of Moses, now there was a 40-day period after the birth of Christ where they kind of kept the mom and the baby. Uh, they were considered unclean, but it was basically a way to protect the mom and baby from catching uh, something. So there was this purification period required by the law of Moses. Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem pre- to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be concentrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord a pair of doves or two young pigeons so this shows kind of their economic state because this was kind of on the low end of the sacrifices and then in verse 39 it says that when Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord they returned to Galilee so their own to their own town of Nazareth Mary and Joseph didn't know the whole picture they didn't know how the whole story they didn't know how this was all going to play out. They wanted to know that. It would have been such a, they would think a comfort. All they knew is they'd been given these messages from angels, and they knew in the law of Moses that they were supposed to, on the eighth day circumcise, they were supposed to go through the purification period, they were supposed to name him Jesus, and everything that was required to do that they knew of, they did. God's in preparation... What you need to be doing right now, today, is exactly what you already know to do. We get so concerned about what's out there and what's next that sometimes we forget God's already given you a whole bunch of stuff that you already know what to do, and the question you have to ask is, what am I doing with it? Joseph and Mary didn't see the big picture, but they knew, here's by the law what we're required to do. You know, as a believer... You're supposed to be spending time in relationship with God in prayer and Bible study. You know you're supposed to be developing the fruit of the Spirit in your life, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. You know you're supposed to be not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. There's a lot of things that you already know, and the thing that you have to ask yourself this morning, am I being faithful to what God's already shown me to do? Because God's not going to show you what's next. You're not going to be ready for that mission, for that preparation, for that challenge, if you're not being faithful to what God has showed you today. There's a parable in Scripture where it talks about the talents. and He gave one one, one talent, one two, and one five. And if you remember, the guy with one talent went and buried it and didn't do anything with it. So God took it away from it. And the thing is, God has entrusted you guys with some talents. He has entrusted you guys with some wisdom and some guidance from Scripture. And the thing you've got to be honest about this morning is, what am I doing with what God has already shown me? And I bet right now if I said, get out a piece of paper, and I want you to write down three things right now that you know without a doubt, with certainty, that God's telling you you need to do, you could probably write three, four, or five. I know I could write down right now, and God would say, Chris has challenged us in staff meeting. He says, you know, where the great revivals happened, the preachers for those great revivals, the ministers were praying on average of two hours a day. And so I know I've been challenged in my prayer life. The thing is, what am I going to do about it? He's challenged me in sharing my faith. He's challenged me in discipleship. He's challenged me in being a better encourager to other people, including my family. The thing is, what am I going to do with that? Some of you out here, God has challenged you with things from Scripture, things you need to let go of, things you need to take up. He's challenged you about your prayer life, your Bible study life, your giving. He's challenged you about relationships. Some relationships maybe you need to put a little distance between. Some relationships where you need to be a greater influence in. But he has challenged you in some areas and you already know and you're never going to know what's next unless you're faithful to what God has already given you. Joseph and Mary were faithful to the only thing that they knew to do at that time and so that's exactly what they did. So it's important this morning, ask yourself, examine yourself, if you're going to be ready for the challenges that God has got before you, are you being faithful with what God has presently entrusted to you. The second thing, if we're going to be prepared, is we got to be teachable. Now, we get a pretty long section of passages here, and in these passages, beginning in verse 41, we kind of get Jesus' journey, uh, his family's journey uh, to the temple when he was a boy. And it says every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. Now, Jews were were supposed to go to three festivals, Passover, Pentecost, and to the Feast of Tabernacles. But the problem with the dispersion of the Jews with the Roman occupation, that just wasn't realistic for most. So most made a goal they wanted to go one time in their life. Now, Jews within 15 miles still were expected to do that if they could, but most Jews would try and maybe, if they were in three or four days' journey, as Joseph and Mary were, to try and make that journey maybe one time a year. So once a year, it says, you know, that every year that they went, it's kind of their practice, they were accustomed, they went. And the key thing about this and being teachable, this was the feast of of Passover. Jesus is the coming Messiah. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Passover. So during these teaching times, because remember, although he is fully God, he is also fully man. So he has laid his, all, uh, his omniscience, knowing everything, aside to be fully man and to, to learn. And so they would go every year, so his parents are putting him in opportunities and situations where he can teach and grow and learn. And many believe that this was the time, he's 12 years old, when the light kind of came on for him, that I'm the fulfillment of the Passover. I am the son of God. God has a mission on my life. But his parents were putting him in situations where it was teachable. In verse 42, it says, When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. At 13 is when you kind of became a son of the law, Or nowadays you'll hear a lot of people talk about having their bar mitzvah. And during that time, you were expected to understand the law, follow the law, know the law to a certain degree. And so 12 was kind of a key year before that when you started going through the process and reading and preparation. So they took him down there to learn. And it said, after the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day, then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. Now you might think, how does this happen? Well, more than likely, it is a large group that's going from Galilee. A lot of times, large groups would go for safety, but a lot of times, large family groups would go. And this was a good time of fellowship. It was a good time of teaching because as they went along, they could teach about the Passover. They could teach about as the Israelites left Egypt and they went and faced the Red Sea and the time wandering in the wilderness. So it was a teaching time. So large groups would go. And many times, the women and the children would be up front and the fathers and the younger guys would be kind of towards the back. So you know, he's 12 years old, he's fifth, sixth grader. We have never to this day in church known what to do with fifth and sixth graders. We don't know to put them with the children. We don't put them with the youth. We don't know. If you first come to a church and join, a lot of times, you know, we'll go fresh meat and we'll go make you work with the fifth and sixth graders and then just hope you don't leave. But it's so Jesus is in that age. So is he, you know, so was he up with the children? Is he back with the youth? They don't really know where he's at. Um, so they come at the end of the day, and the family groups a lot of times would gather back together and they gather back together. Where's Jesus at? I thought he was with you. I thought he's with you. All right. Has anybody in here ever been left or lost or done that to a child? You know, I used to leave my children at church all the time. I'd go home where I don't know where they're at, and they're, I'd left them back at church. On youth trips, I think, and this will be comfort to you that have youth and stuff, I think I've left three kids. At youth trips at various places, left a parent one time, but he probably needed leaving. Uh, anyway, but you know, it happens sometimes, not intentionally, but, but it happens. So anyway, when they didn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. Now they probably went a day out. It'd be like us loading up today and we're walking to Halton with the ladies in front. Okay? So we go from Galilee to Jerusalem. We go to Halton, And then after spending some time there, the next day we walk back to Menden. We get to Menden and we set up camp and we're like, oh my goodness, where's he at? So we have to turn and we have to go back to the beautiful city of Houghton. And so, and it says, after three days, they found him in the temple court sitting among the teachers. So a day out, Probably a day looking, a day coming back, and then a third day looking for him. And he was sitting among the teachers. And a lot of the Sanhedrin would come in during this time, and they would kind of set up circles, and you would sit down. They would be elevated a little bit, and they would teach. They would teach during the Sabbath. They would teach during the time of festivals. And so it was a great time of learning for families, because you got to hear these educated teachers, that a lot of times in the scattered towns, you might not get to hear. And he was listening to them, and he was asking them questions, and that was the common Jewish way of learning, was asking questions. Today, instead of me sitting up here talking, we would be engaging. I'd make a point, you'd ask a question, I'd do something, and we'd go back and forth. And that was the normal way that they did it. And it said, everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding. And this word, amazed, is a word that's only used a few times by Luke, but it's a word that's associated with the supernatural. I mean, it's like their eyes were bugging out. They were amazed at his understanding and his questions. And in verse 48, it says, when his parents saw him, they too were astonished. You know, they, again, this is something supernatural. Where's this coming from? And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Now, this sounds like they're getting on to Jesus, but they're really not. Okay. Again, you don't have context, which is the bad thing about social media. You know, you don't. You don't. What was their voice inflections? What was their facial expressions and things like this? It's been translated through a couple of languages. It's just more like we were worried, we were scared, we were concerned. And here is a key thing. She says, "Your father and I, referring to Joseph, were looking at you." Here's a key thing. Jesus in verse forty-nine. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? That is the first recorded words of Jesus in Mark. Maybe the first recorded words in the gospel. And he says, I'm in my father's house. You've for years told me Joseph's not my father. You've told me the circumstances of my birth. You've told me the words of Anion and and Sima. And I get it. God's my father. And I'm in his house. And I've got a mission on my life. And I want to sit and I want to learn from him. And I want to learn who I am and what God's called me to do. He had a teachable spirit. His parents put him in teachable situations, and he had a teachable heart and a teachable spirit. And because of that, again, he's setting the example and standard for us, and God was preparing him for a mission later. And he tells us, if you want to be prepared, you've got to be faithful to what you already know, but then you've also got to be, have a teachable heart for the other things that I want to teach you so you'll be ready for what's ahead. Now, here's the last thing. The last thing is we've got to be obedient in verses 40 and 51 and 52 you know jesus you know hey look i'm the son of god i've gotten it i've got a big mission ahead of me i'm going to stay here and learn now what does he do in verse uh, 40 it says or some verse in there it basically says and the child grew and became strong he was filled with wisdom and the grace of god was on him it also says that he went back with his parents uh to galilee so he was obedient He goes back between the ages of 12 and 30. He lives with his parents in Galilee. He lives under their authority. He learns to be a good carpenter from Joseph. He takes care of his mother. Sometime between here, Joseph dies because we don't hear of him uh, in his ministry years and certainly not at the crucifixion. So so, So Jesus is taking care of his mom, being a good son. He's becoming a good carpenter. He's being obedient. This is what God's called him to do. He is building a good reputation in verse 40 where it says that the child grew and became Came strong. This is a passive learning. This is where he's sitting and taking it in. And then in verse 52, we see an active learning on the part of Christ. It says, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. This is an active, involved, the asking the questions, the seeking, the searching. What are my ministry gifts and talents? How can I uh, get involved and serve and get to know other people? And it says he grew in favor with God, which is the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And he grew in favor with man. And that's huge. Okay? If we're going to follow God, we got to be obedient. So he goes back with his family, he's obedient. But he's also obedient in that he continues to learn. And he continues to grow in his relationship with God. And right before he starts out in ministry, what's he doing? He goes to the wilderness and he prays. And what's the very first thing that he teaches in the Beatitudes? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who have a teachable, humble heart. He has learned to be a humble student, teacher, learner, and he's being obedient with what God has showed him to do, but he's also in right relationship with other people. And We miss this a lot of times. This is huge. Sometimes in our holiness and our righteousness, we push people away instead of attracting people and drawing people. Jesus drew people to him. When his ministry started, people were drawn to him. The disciples dropped their stuff, and they were ready to follow Jesus. He was somebody that was respected, that was liked, that had a good reputation from how he cared for his family, from his work in the community. Yeah, later when he shared his message, and I'm the son of God and salvation is through me, people rejected his message, but people were drawn to him. And if you want to be used for what God has called you to do, you've got to be in right relationship with other people. We have got to be somebody that grows in favor, not just with God, but also with our fellow man. Because when we're in that situation, then God will bring people into our life that we can love, we can encourage, and we'll have the opportunities to share our faith with. It's all about preparation. You've got to be be faithful with what God showed you. You've got to be teachable and open. Just ask yourself, are you teachable? Or do you kind of hear something, whatever Chris preached on Christmas Eve, and you've already forgotten it? What he preached about last week, you've forgotten it. What your quiet time was this week, you've forgotten it. Teachable means we're going to take it and let it work in us and learn it and let it work out through us. Are you teachable? And then what God shows you are a doer of the word. Are you obedient to what God shows you? Uh, There's a story by John Maxwell, and John Maxwell talks about Uh, he was in a situation where, I don't know if it was him or he's telling the story, but he's a motivational speaker, and he was talking about a group flying in an airplane. And they were coming in for landing in a private jet, and they'd just been on occasion, and they were very joyous, very excited, and they're coming in for a landing, and all of a sudden a wind shear catches them, and the wind shear just drops them, and they can just feel like they're dropping. And actually the wheels of the airplane, the, the pilot's trying to land it, and they barely touch the the. Runway, and they know this is not going to be good. But then all of a sudden, the pilot thrusts the jet back, and it takes back off. And they come back around, make another loop, and they land safely. And they go from this, where they were at this euphoria, to this, like, is this the end? And when it lands, they're clapping, they're applauding. As One of the guys is exiting the plane. He says, thank you so much for what you did. When did you make that decision to take that plane back off? And he said, 15 years ago. And he said, 15 years ago when I started being a pilot, I thought of every potential scenario and situation that I could be in and how I would handle that. And then I regularly reviewed that. The importance of preparation so when that moment comes, you're ready. Be prepared because God wants you to have a full and abundant and impactful, not a boring, dull, go through the motions, you get old, you die. God wants you to have a life of impact and influence but it starts with preparation. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for loving us and caring for us. Thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ that not only came to be an atonement for our sins, but Father, he came to show us how to live. Father, he came, he didn't need to be prepared for ministry, but Father, he came as an example for us for how we are to be prepared for ministry. So Father, today, help us to be honest with ourselves. You've already shown most of us in here things about our lives. Are we being faithful with that? Father, there's things you want to teach us and show it, but do we have teachable hearts? Are our hearts hard? Are they crowded? Do we let stuff in but we don't let it go very deep? Are we teachable? And Father, with what you've shown us, are we obedient? Wherever you say to go, whatever you say to do, are we willing to follow? Father, when we have those attitudes, you can use us for great things. And then, Father, also we pray today for anyone that doesn't have a relationship with you because they can't have a full and meaningful life apart from a relationship with you. And, Father, today if they don't, our prayer is that they would receive that love, that joy, that peace, that forgiveness that only you could provide. Father, thank you for loving us and caring for us. I thank you for each person in this room and for the amazing plans that you have for their lives. In your holy name we pray. Amen. You can stand.